Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello everyone, this is Umar Hamid, your host, and welcome to the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategies, and advice on how to make you better, stronger, faster. Get ready for another episode. Hello, everyone. I am so happy to have Tim Reister here with me today. He's the Chief Strategy Officer at Corporate Visions. Tim, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Umar. We met about two and a half years ago, and I saw you do a presentation at the Institute for Excellence in Sales. I don't know anything about first responders, but you were talking about helping Motorola communicate what they did in a way that anybody could understand. Number one, And I saw that presentation once, two and a half years ago, and I can actually recite that presentation two and a half years later, all because you communicated a message in a simple way that got people to say yes. Uh, Why don't you tell us about that? Because that was like a mind-blowing presentation. Well, we took and condensed about 15 PowerPoint slides trying to launch a new product and turned it into one simple concrete visual that could be drawn on a napkin or a flip chart or a tablet or something like that. And also in, in, in embedded in that story was the framework for what we call a why change story. Um, they were asking customers to make a big change from the way they were doing things today and how they wanted them to do them tomorrow. And a, a typical product rollout presentation positioning effort isn't going to create that kind of emotional spike. So not only did we simplify the story from 15 slides down to one simple visual, we embedded that kind of emotion in there to help people see they needed to make a change. So you were responding to both the simple concrete visual and really the emotional trigger that went along with the story. And that's what brilliance is, because I think a lot of times when you see something so elegant and simple, uh, I think there's a quote from Einstein that says, you know, I don't like simplicity, but I love simplicity on the other side of complexity. And you took something that was complex and you made it simple to understand. I guess that's ultimately what salespeople do is how do we communicate? How do we inspire? How do we motivate people, if not to buy, but certainly to understand the value proposition that we're presenting? Yeah, the abstract complex story keeps people from buying because they can use the abstract and complex nature of the story to give them an excuse for not making a decision. You can't do it if it's abstract and complex. But if you can make it simple and concrete and help them see the context for urgency, the contrast between what they're doing today and tomorrow, that makes it concrete enough for them to take action. I always say, if they can draw it, they can do it. And as long as it's abstract and complicated, they can give themselves a pass. But if you make it simple and concrete, now they actually have to reckon with it. Now they actually have to make a decision. They can still say no. But in their conscience, they now know there's a clear yes and a clear no, and 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 that will be with them. So, Tim, I, I've not read the article yet, but I noticed that you had a part an article that just went uh, live on the International Journal for Sales Transformation. Yeah, so it's why evolve. So think of it as um, companies struggle when they have old products out there and they want to move a customer to a new product. And it's an existing customer and it's a delicate balance, right? That new product may be where you're doing all your future development and you want to keep your customers current so they don't get picked off by a competitor. That new product may cost you less to run and so you can improve your margins on it. There's all kinds of reasons you want to move someone from old platform to new platform. 
but customers aren't, aren't always ready to go there at when you want them to. So you want to know, how do you tell the best story? And what's unique about it is you have to create enough urgency for them to see the need to change, but you want to leverage the fact that you have an existing partnership and that there's familiarity with them that doesn't cause them to want to change and then consider somebody else. So we look at the science behind how people make decisions, and then we do tests in different buying and deciding areas. So we've done the research on the various questions customers ask themselves. Why change? Why do something different? And you tell a story that helps them do something different and choose you. And the why you story, how to compete against alternatives. The why now story, how to create a sense of urgency for a decision, not a deferral. And then we pivoted to the why stay story, how to get more renewals or the why pay story, how to communicate a price increase. And it's like after you do a piece of research on one of those selling areas, somebody raises their hand and says, I got another one for you. And this came up from several of our clients who have platforms they're trying to move clients to. And they're like, do you have a study for that? So we said, sure. We went out and and did one. So Tim, can you, uh, are you doing one? Why not? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny is uh, um, it, it seems like every time you think of another question to ask and then you answer it, somebody has another one. And, and that sounds like a very clever one that I should probably prepare myself for uh, now that we've done, I think, six of these. I'm sure there's more out there somewhere. So Tim, go back to the first one, but give me an example of a before and after. You know, we had a client and this is what they were doing and this is how our research help them become more effective. Yeah, so the the first one why change was this recognition that too many sales cycles end in no decision. And in fact, the numbers we have working with a research partner are that 60 to 80% of finals presentations end up in no decision. They stick with their status quo. And people would argue, well, that means we lost to the incumbent competitor, and I argue you lost to inertia, you lost to gravity, you lost You lost to risk aversion. People didn't want to change. In fact, the question they couldn't answer for themselves wasn't why you and not the competitor. The question they couldn't answer for themselves is, why would I take the risk of change? There's just not enough contrast here or urgency for me to take on the change management effort that you're proposing. So we said, companies, you actually have to answer and get the first yes, which is, I need to change. I need to do something different. And that required a different psychology and a different story. And so we move people from the why you uh, story, which often look like a competitive matrix, you and your competitors, and then you'd score them against your features and you'd get full moons and they'd get half moons and then you'd win. But it didn't work that way. The why change story comes from a different psychology, which is the, the, the conquering of status quo bias. And we're able to identify through the literature four reasons people won't change their mind or what they call the four causes of status quo bias and build and test a messaging framework that specifically addressed, uh, if you will, attacked the four reasons people won't change their mind. And I like to say defeat the four causes of status quo bias. And that psychology and that message is dramatically different than the why you story where you try to distinguish yourself from a competing alternative. And, and that's where it all started. And, and once we were able to show people that it's like it's at least a 90 degree pivot from why you to why change, where the first thing you have to do is convince them they've got problems or missed opportunities they didn't even know they had. And now they have a sense of urgency and they need to do something different now they're finally going to care about you and why they might try to do that with you. And most people's messaging absolutely misses that. 
So, uh, Tim, can you give me, let's dig down deeper into this, because I think ultimately at the end of the day, nobody cares about you or me. They care about themselves. So we might as well sell in that way. So give me a, a live example of one of those transformations where you took somebody from a, we're amazing, fantastic, and you should buy from us to this is what's going on in your world. So show me the contrast, because I think that would be a, a deep learning lesson for our listeners. So contrast is inherently visual, and, and we have an audio medium here, so I'm going to work really hard to do this, Umar. But I'll, I'll go back to the Motorola example that seems to have stuck with you so much. In their initial product launch, it talked a lot about um, new phones, new laptops, new PCs that were ruggedized and improved to be of better use for first responders than typical commercial grade phones and tablets and laptops. And they talked about the benefits of some of these new first responder dedicated apps and things that first responders would need on these ruggedized versions of these devices. The problem they had was that all of these municipalities had already committed themselves to consumer vendors, public vendors of, of telecommunications, uh, the big names out there, Verizon's, ATT, Sprint's, or whatever it is. They ha are already using phones and laptops and um, tablets from these vendors. So it was a hard shift because there was a lot of sunk cost and no big compelling reason to change. We stood that story on its head and we're able to identify through the story that um, if you share a network with the consumers and the public at large, all of your content is trafficking on that same network. You're, you're putting the first responders' ability to get data at risk. And we simply walked through a story where we showed them this very clogged pipe. And in it, we said, you're, you're, you're competing with all of the public on the same pipe, you also have the risk, for example, when a natural disaster happens, the data lines are clogged. In fact, it can take days for your data to get over the data lines. And now the first responders are actually uh, helpless. They don't have access to that information. Or when, when bad people try to do bad things and try to generate flash mobs over the network, sometimes the first responders have to take down the network to stop that, but they take it down for the bad guys and the good guys. And sometimes public carriers don't have coverage in areas that bad stuff happens. And now you're at the mercy of a for-profit company who, who doesn't have coverage. Uh, public networks are susceptible to hackers because that's where all the interesting information is, as well as government regulations that might not allow you to pass certain important private information on public networks. So we came down to this conclusion after drawing this picture that the network you're using is least available when you need it most. And then we I pivoted to identify that Motorola is known for their voice communications, the radios you use, and it's available on a private network that is always on. Don't you think you maybe also need a private network for your data as well as your voice? And we created this clear contrast between the value of the private network and something they're already familiar with the problems and limitations associated with the public network that they were currently using and basically made it unsafe, untenable, unacceptable to stay there anymore because when you need it most, it's least available and, and now created a demand for the new thing without ever mentioning the handheld devices, the tablets or the PCs. So it was a big shift for them where they weren't talking about their products and features that they were launching. They were talking about a new way, but we had to first show how the old way was no longer safe. 
I hope that communicated as clearly as I could over audio, uh, really one of those very transformative stories. So what we're going to do is either you're going to do it, Tim, or I'm going to do it, is we're going to do a, a video that'll link to the show notes that they can actually see it drawn out and really get the power of it. Because I think ultimately when we are selling our products, we take a lot for granted and we see it from our point of view. And oftentimes the message we're trying to send is not the right one that's going to mo motivate somebody to take action and, uh, and buy. Yeah, well, research has shown. So we study the decision-making sciences, neuroscience, behavioral economics, and social psychology. And we sort of triangulate that and look at the existing literature. And then we perform simulations where we create test scenarios. We recruit would-be buyers, B2B buyer types who reflect uh, the demographics of the B2B buying audience and put them into these scenarios and then put test conditions together and simulate their decision-making. Instead of asking their just flat-out opinion, how do you buy, what do you need to know, and why do you buy, we understand through research that they'll lie to you. Not on purpose, but they, they speak from the part of the brain that justifies a decision, not the part that makes a decision. Because the part of the brain that makes a decision doesn't even have the capacity for language. So we actually have to put them in a simulation to see exactly how they'd react and with what intensity level they react. And then we come back and we go, huh, here it is. Here's the story framework in its exact choreography that created the best response and the highest intention and the willingness to stick and all those kinds of questions we ask. And you discover time and time again that it is an emotional, intuitive response, uh, a message that drives the greatest response, in particular when you're trying to dislodge an incumbent. And, and you find very quickly that when a customer expresses to you the rational, logical content they need, they just want it so they can explain, justify, and validate a decision. It's not actually useful in helping them make the initial decision. Tim, what do you you see a lot of companies and you see a lot of uh, uh, people struggling to compete in this super competitive world? If you were helping a client, what are the the three things you'd advise them to do now so their salespeople are more effective? Well, the first thing I would suggest is that they they understand that the psychology of the buyer affects the way you create messaging and the story you build, but it also affects the skills you use to tell that story. So in customer acquisition mode, we have discovered that you have to be more insightful and provocative. In other words, disrupt their status quo and, and do some things to distinguish yourself competitively that appeal to certain parts of the brain and have a certain kind of impact and require certain skill. You, you have to be willing and able to sell them on the problem, not just on your products. But if you, when you go ahead. From my point of view, uh, you know, my area of expertise is applied neuroscience and very much the reptile brain of uh, the client needs to be triggered. And you're talking about creating stories that are a memorable, but two, invoke emotions and three, get the reptile brain to take action and say, hey, wait a minute, uh, we can't stand the status quo. We need to take action and we need to do it now. Right. And then you need to give the salespeople the skills to do that confidently because that doesn't come naturally. It, it doesn't fall in neatly into the, the salesperson's desire to build relationship, desire to ask 20 questions. It, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a different kind of posture for the salesperson to have. So it's about building story and teaching them the skills and having them practice enough to feel like they're confident to have this kind of encounter. And what we discover is that if done right, customers are actually grateful for this. You become a trusted advisor because you told them the thing they didn't know. If you just repeat back to them, 
the answers to the questions they gave you, that doesn't make you a trusted advisor. That just makes you a tape recorder. What we see is that on the customer acquisition side, a great story that disrupts status quo, but then fresh skills that makes people comfortable with that are important because you you need to have the at-bats in the sense that you can tell this kind of story uh, as well, right? So it's a story and a skill problem. So what's kind of interesting, I suspect that some of the people that you're training, if they were at a campfire with their family, they would be amazing storytellers. But when they take on the hat of a salesperson to tell a story, sometimes that changes things internally for them. Have you come across that? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I um, I have. I think one of the challenges that I see is that uh, people think that their customers have somehow taken and had a like a brain lobotomy. Um, and, and when the customer goes to work, they're no longer emotional and intuitive either. It's all jargon and acronyms and, and you got to speak like you're a, a freaking robot or something. And which what, what our research shows, because we put would-be customers into this research, including executive level customers into this research is they are highly emotional and intuitive in the way they react to the stories you tell and how you tell those stories. So it, that's what I mean. You got to kind of break the salesperson out of the mold of, I'm a different persona when I walk into a customer's office than I am around the campfire, that in fact, that sort of best friend voice storytelling approach that connects emotionally intuitively is going to be your best friend in a sales cycle, differentiate you from the competitors, but also move the needle on the way the customer reacts. Makes perfect sense. Actually, I was uh, working with a client and I asked them to, uh, it was one of their salespeople, you know, tell me what you guys do. And the guy told me what they did in a way that was uninspiring and made me want to like fall asleep. It was like, okay, you know, your CEO, uh, he's a pretty dramatic and dynamic person. I want you to put on his mask for a moment and pretend to be him. Now tell me what your company does. And all of a sudden he's articulate, passionate, powerful. And so sometimes just giving the people that technique of put on the mask of you telling stories by the campfire in your sales setting gives them permission to let go of inhibitions and just go for it in an elegant, uh, passionate way. Yeah, I, I, we do that by showing them our studies and saying, look, the people you're targeting are reacting this way. They're going to actually appreciate this and they're going to respond in a positive way. So you're like giving them the evidence that says this is going to work and now they're willing to try it. And when anybody sort of debates me on, I just don't feel that's going to work. I'm like, you don't feel that way, but where's your study? Because we we put a natural governor on ourselves the way we feel, but it isn't. Many times we have interesting intentions, good intentions, but our instincts are actually off when it comes to what will have the greatest impact. So uh, I love your approach. I agree with our approach. Either way, you got to help them see that there's a different way to do it and, and that different in this case is much better. I saw this quote once. It was from uh, the guy that did the Pogo uh, uh, newspaper uh, comic. And it goes something like this. We've met the enemy and the enemy is us. And what you're doing is helping people put themselves aside and actually get effective messaging and deliver it in a powerful way that gets results. Yeah, I try to get them to imagine themselves um, not across the desk from someone, but coming around on the same side of the desk and looking at the industry problems and challenges together and just sort of psychologically see yourself as helping make that person smarter, not making them feel stupid, helping them see and make sense and make meaning of all the industry issues and how it affects them, not trying to sell them something. And so you just got to give them that that sense of, you know, you're getting into the foxhole with this person to do battle with the enemy, which is out there. 
it's not that you're the adversary. And so you, you have to in, introduce these kinds of psychological principles to people so that they can start to embrace the concepts we're talking about and the stories we're building so that they then feel like these are natural communications and conversations they're having as opposed to unnatural acts. It's, it's brilliant because I think uh, if you got them to step into the other person's shoe, there's a detached quality to it. But when you get them to be on the same side with that person, there's this empathetic bond that allows them to actually get a better learning out of the uh, experience. Well, certainly it, it it's the kind of thing that um, you don't have 20 years to forge a relationship with golf and scotch and all these things. So how do you forge a right? I know those are the good old days. Um, we, the forge the relationship quickly. And I've studied this. The way you create bonds and trust and rely, uh, you know, reliance more quickly usually happens when people are forced together during an acute sort of event, like a tragedy. All of a sudden, neighbors who wouldn't have anything to do with each, with each other are filling sandbags to try and protect each other's homes, despite whatever political stances they have. Or in war, um, uh, people get in a foxhole together and it doesn't matter their political differences or their gender, whatever other preferences are. All of a sudden, they are fastly bonded in, 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 in a way that's now inextricable because they share a common mission against a, sh- a common enemy. And, and that's how we try to talk about this story. The, the enemies, the changes in the marketplace and, and, and the lack of clarity. And the way I'm going to help you is I'm going to make meaning and sense and clarity out of it and then help reflect back what that means for where you are today and where you're trying to go. And by being the person who helps make meaning and sense out of that and being able to point to it as something that's happening to them, frankly, regardless of whether you're in the room or not, this is, these arrows are coming at you, creates a shared experience where you're not the bearer of bad news. You're the, the meaning maker of this and on behalf of both of you, right? So uh, creating a quicker rapport requires, frankly, a common and a shared enemy. And it's all these external pressures and factors that now we're going to try and figure out together. Um, so another psychological tool to kind of create the, the kind of relationship that you want faster than you can create it in traditional forms um, and doing it through bringing uh, this kind of sense and meaning making to the confusion and uh, overwhelming amounts of information out there. How do people gauge the message that they have right now? How can they test it to figure out, hey, we've got a problem? Because sales is a moving, complex animal And so how can they diagnose the message and the delivery out of all the background noise? Yeah. So we've even like built a rubric for each of these questions. Why change? Why you? Why now? Why stay? Why pay? And now why evolve? That says this is the framework for telling that story. And here's how you can like test your stress test your story against this question. Does it answer this question? And really what it comes down to is do you have all the pieces of the messaging framework that work best. And for example, in why change, what we typically find is that people will talk about customer needs, but they're the known stated identified needs that they uncovered in discovery or or voice of the customer research. And then they map that to the known capabilities they have to solve for that. And they think they have a value proposition. The problem is that those known needs are known to you and all your competitors. So they're answering the same questions for the customer. And your portfolio is not that different from your competitors. So you're bringing some of the same things to bear to answer those needs. And lo and behold, you thought you did everything right. And now you're in a commodity story situation. What they're typically missing is they they haven't done a good job of identifying and introducing unconsidered needs, the thing that the customer hasn't really realized or hasn't prioritized or doesn't fully appreciate, and then map that to some of your uniqueness and differentiators so that you can create a story that pushes the urgency envelope, right, with the unconsidered need, but also pushes the uniqueness button 
by solving for that in an advantaged way. And, and people just unwittingly get put into this commodity box by doing voice of the customer research that everybody else is doing and uncovering the same known needs and mapping them to the similar set of capabilities. Uh, and again, just when you thought you did it right, you did it wrong. So what we see is in the framework, there's always a few pieces in the framework that people are missing and, and they have to interrogate their messaging for the question they're trying to answer in the in the moment of the buying journey they're trying to um, support. Uh, real quickly, what I would say is then, and then what normally happens is once they figure this out for the customer acquisition, how disruptive you need to be and, and, and how you have to defeat the status quo, then they pivot to a renewal with an existing customer or a price increase with an existing customer. And if they use that exact same technique, our science has shown and our research has shown, you will actually decrease the likelihood of renewal and increase the likelihood of switching. That in fact, when you are the status quo, you need to reinforce the status quo. The status quo bias psychologically is real. So when you're coming up against it, you have to defeat it. But when you are it, you need to reinforce it so that you can strengthen your stronghold. So our our customer retention and expansion frameworks are distinctly different than the customer acquisition and business case frameworks for change. And, and that's another problem area that customers have to interrogate. Is the stuff you're sending to your existing customers to renew them, communicate a price increase, and evolve them to a new platform, the exact same approach you're using as when you're trying to get a new logo? And if it is, then you've got another problem. So there's a number of ways we interrogate this, we review this, and we've got the rubrics to help people even self-assess. Give me an example, your best sales deal ever. So I would say that we were going into a competitive situation with a very large company that was presuming they needed to change their sales process. The methodology they use to plan opportunities and develop and plan accounts. And, and sales process and methodology, I argue, is the administrative part of helping salespeople figure out who they need to meet with and where they need to show up. But it doesn't help them with what are they going to say when they get there. And, and, and that's where we help companies. It's the what are you going to say when you get there that's so important. And it's our belief that customer conversations and the story you tell and how well you tell it is the key to differentiation now that products and services sound and smell and look so much alike. And sales process and methodology doesn't Im embed any kind of differentiation or any kind of story. It really is administratively helping you track a deal, make sure you're organized to talk to the right people, and make sure that your manager knows how to potentially coach and score and Put, you know, put it in the pipeline. But at some point, you got to get in front of a customer and your lips have to move. And there's nothing in your process that's going to help you at that moment. And so what kind of problem are you trying to solve here? We challenge the company. Is it you need a better pipeline management system that helps organize your account plans and opportunity management? Or is it that you need to be remarkable, memorable, and different? You need to create a sense of urgency to change now, not later. You need to elevate that conversation with business and financial acumen that executive leaders buy off on. And you need to manage through the negotiations with skill and aplomb. And you also need to be able to renew and upgrade your customers and have great conversations at that level. Yes. Well, that's not sales process. That's this. And we call it the customer conversation system. And all of a sudden, we changed the entire framework of the deal from a sales process decision 
to a customer conversation decision, change the entire specification of that discussion because they didn't need one more admin tool. The thing that was broke was the salespeople in front of their customers with their lips moving, not being able to tell a story that helps them win. And, and, it, and it was amazing to dislodge both the, the initial spec as well as the competitive set by simply reframing the problem they were trying to solve and them recognizing that as their true problem and being able to then obviously be in a position where that was our sweet spot. Does that help? Does that answer your question? It does. So Tim, a lot of people out there need help. How do they get a hold of you? Sure. Our company name is Corporate Visions and it's www.corporatevisions, all one word.com. And we have a lot of research there. Um, if you go to our, our resources page, webcasts, research briefs, and uh, ebooks with all of our templates in it. So a lot of self-feeding, self-service. I've also written three books you might want to look up on Amazon. The most recent was called The Three Value Conversations. Before that, Conversations That Win the Complex Sale. So there are, are lots of places that, in the spirit of the abundance mentality, we give you access to this uh, these concepts and this information. So sign up to get our regular um, uh, releases of our research and frameworks. Check out the existing stuff. Lots for you to chew on there. And then if some point you need to talk to us, you can do it from that same location. Tim, it was a great interview. Thanks so much. I learned a lot. I'm looking forward to checking out your site and snagging some of those resources. Thanks, Umar. I appreciate the opportunity. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 